If you look in your bulletin, you'll find that John chapter 15 is printed out. During the sheet of paper, what I'd like you to do is during the sermon, find a pen and go through John chapter 15 and underline every time you see the word remain. Okay, so I'll think you're taking notes in the sermon, so I'll feel pretty proud of myself. <laughs> so while, while we're going through this, just read down through that text and underline every time and every place you come across the word remain. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the way in which by your spirit you have recorded in your scriptures principles that are so easy to understand and yet so profound. And I thank you for this passage. And I pray, Lord God, that you would use it to transform us even now. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So I asked you, when was that time in your life when you were 100% Dependent upon somebody else for your survival. When was that? In the womb. Before you were born. Okay? In the womb, you were 100% dependent upon someone else for the oxygen that kept your cells alive. For the nutrients that came and flowed through you. And you could not have survived, and you wouldn't survive, without that. Now, Jesus didn't use this analogy but I think he'll allow me to borrow it just for a moment. When Jesus says to us, I am the vine, he's using a simple, a a similar analogy. When he says, I am the source of your spiritual life, the sole source of your spiritual life, your spiritual birth, your spiritual life, your spiritual growth, your spiritual productivity. Here's why that's important. Look me in the eyes and hear this very important. Because many of us, become followers after Jesus Christ, and then we function as if from here on out, it's entirely dependent upon me. I've got to memorize scripture, I've got to go to Bible studies, I've got to attend conferences, and I've got to go to to church, and and I've got to do all of this kind of stuff, because it's 100% dependent upon me if I'm going to grow spiritually. And the answer is you can do all of that kind of stuff and not grow. Because we are not called into a religion. We're not called into a series of doctrines or practices. We're called into a living relationship with the living Jesus Christ. And so when he says, I am the vine, he's telling us a very important principle. Your spiritual birth happens when you let me into your life. Okay? But your growth from there on out is also dependent upon me. And your productivity is dependent upon me. And that's why he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. I discovered some of you have never seen a vine up close. So I went and bought one. And just in case you're interested, this is Merlot, okay? We're going to plant it in our grounds, and someday in the future, we'll call you to come and stamp on grapes, and we'll make our own wine. (laughs) When he says, I'm the vine, he is saying, I am the stem, okay? I'm this part of a grape vine. I'm the place where you will find my sap flowing. You will find all of life here. You are the branches, now, we'll take a look at branches in a couple of weeks' time. Branches are, are, are very fragile things. They're more like tendrils, actually. Branches on a vine are made for only one thing, producing grapes. You can't use them for furniture. They don't even make good firewood because they burn up so quickly. The branches are absolutely 100% dependent upon the stem of the vine. You take a branch away from the vine, it can't grow. It can't exist. It cannot produce fruit. 
But as long as it stays tapped into the vine, then the nurture and the nourishment of the vine, all everything of the life of the vine flows into those branches, flows through them so that they grow, and then flows out of them so that they produce fruit. Isn't that the most profound picture? I mean, to me, it is just like, wow, there it is. The whole of our Christian life wrapped up inside of that. Now, in order for us to appreciate it, I want us to just camp out a little bit today and to understand that, and and here's my idea for the sermon. You can go to sleep after this. Because of that, I must cultivate a life-receiving relationship with Christ Jesus. In order to be saved, I must have a life-receiving relationship with Jesus Christ. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, his spirit comes into you and me, and as his spirit comes into you and me, we're born again. We become a new creation. And then from then on, in order for me to grow, I have to keep in that relationship. It's not that I get saved and then from there on out, go and live my life independent of Jesus Christ. Every moment of my life, I'm dependent upon the vine for the nurture that he flows into me. Now, in order for us to fully grasp this, let me just spend a moment talking about the fact that when you open the New Testament, you discover something interesting. We are described as a new creation. For six days, God created, and then he rested. And he stopped creating any new species until 2,000 years ago. When God became a man, a new species stepped onto this planet. Only one. But he was the first time that that new species had shown up. Then Jesus died on the cross, was buried... He rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and he sent his spirit down to us. And the moment his spirit came down to earth, another species was created. So just ponder that for a moment. Another species was created on the day of Pentecost. Something that had never existed before. Human beings indwelled by the Spirit of God who comes to live inside of us permanently for the rest of eternity, or at least the rest of this life. He comes to live inside of us. And so at that moment, on on the day of Pentecost, a whole new creation came into existence, something that had never existed before. And the moment you and I believe in Jesus Christ, we join that new creation. And as we join that new creation, the Bible describes it in concepts that, quite frankly, almost evade our ability to fully understand it. But that we are described as being in Christ, and Christ is in us. You are not an ordinary human being. Not at all. You're completely different from ordinary human beings. Let's just take a look quickly at a few of those verses. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God. Now, this is the Spirit of God who wrote those words, okay? So think about it. This is not somebody inventing something. This is not some kind of of space trilogy (laughs) that somebody's come up with. This is true. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. Paul writes this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He writes to the Colossians, to them, that is God's people, which is us, 
God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so from the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have become part of this new humanity that God has created on earth. We're different and distinctly different from the world, and you can't see it. You can't see the Spirit of God inside of you, but he's there. You've never seen your DNA, but it's there. The DNA uh, uh, molecule inside of you instructs your body how to function, instructs part of your body what kind of cells to build. Your DNA is there inside of you doing this work all of the time. We never get to see it, but it's there. You don't get to see the Spirit of God inside of you, but He's there. Perhaps we'd believe it more if we were like E.T. You know, remember E.T. had a heart that glowed red, you know? So when you become a believer, that all of a sudden, boom, you've got this heart that, ooh, the Spirit of God's inside of me. The artists used to try and portray it by showing people with a halo around their faces. If we had halos, we would know it. How do we know it's true? The life I live, I live by faith. I believe what God has said. And that's what faith means. That I trust what God has said. And I believe it to be true. And so in order for us to be able to grow and move forward, we have to accept this reality. That if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All right, now let me just quickly... Give us a a picture. At that moment that we were born again, God could have taken us out of this world, given us new bodies, and it would all be over. But he chose to leave us here for now. So you and I are new creations, but we live in an old creature. And that old creature is going to battle against the new creation that lives inside of us. The Bible calls it the flesh. And we'll talk about this more next week. And what the flesh does is the flesh says, I don't want to submit to Jesus. I don't want him to fill me. I don't want him to change my life. I like being who I was before Jesus. So the flesh, the old man that the Bible describes is who you were before Jesus Christ. And God left us in these bodies for now. He's going to take us out of them eventually when he returns or when we die. But for now we're stuck. We're new creations in an old creature. How does a new creation live in an old creature so that we become what God wants us to become. That's where Jesus' words come across, that we must abide in him. And just in case you, you, you miss the point of this, I want you to notice something about Jesus. He said this, Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own, my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Jesus said, the Father and I have this, un- un- this, this unity between us, that he lives in me, and he does his work in me, and he does his work through me. And that's what he's transferring and passing on to us. And so he uses a concept where he says, abide in me. And I want you, if, if you would, you can keep looking down through that, that passage and see how often in another translation of the word abide is remain in me. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. Now, remain in me as I also remain in you. He's telling us there's a reality. I'm always in you. What I want you to do is I want you to live with that reality. 
and I want you to remain in me. The word remain, the Greek word meno, means this, to abide, to remain in one place, to continue to be with someone. And I was trying to find a way to, to link it to life, and the only word I could find was to subsist. When you subsist in something or on something, you do it because you're dependent upon it for life. And so Jesus is telling us, I want you to remain in me. I want you to live in living, constant connection with me. Alert to that fact. He's in us. We have 100% of him in us. He doesn't have 100% of us connected to him. And so that's what he wants us to be doing. All right. If I were to sum it up again, cultivate a life-receiving relationship with me. That's how we live. And we'll see next week, but I'll give you just a bit of a hint to it. Sometimes I'm depressed. Sometimes. Like once a day, I'm depressed. <laughs> I don't know. Do you, anybody ever get depressed, feel this depression? Okay, all right. And you'll see, Jesus says, I've come that my joy may be in you, and that joy, joy may be full. And so when those times when I feel that depression descend upon me, that's a moment to abide in Christ and to go, Jesus, right now, brain chemistry, experience, life, I don't know. Something is pushing me down. And I don't want to go down. But I can't pull myself up. And so I'm coming to you for joy. Now the illustration that, that, that clicks with us is when we're to love one another as Christ loves us. And there's somebody you can't stand. Isn't that true? All the rest of your life, it's easy to love people you like. Oh, I'm obeying Jesus. I'm loving you like Christ loved me. I love that. And then you come across that person you cannot stand. And that's the time when we have to go to God and say, Jesus, I don't like this person. The only way I'm going to love them is if you create love in me. That's next week. Come back for that, all right? So the point is that I cultivate a life-receiving relationship with Jesus Christ. Who? How? He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You will not be able to grow, and fruit describes quality and quantity. Quality of the life of Christ, quantity of more and more people being one to Christ. He says, you can't produce any of that on your own. You can't do it. It's impossible without me. All right. How do I abide in you? Now, watch out, because what I'm going to go through now, you can go, oh, okay, here's the steps. I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this. And therefore, I've got those five commands, five laws, and that's how I abide in him. The problem is you don't want to abide in these things. You want to abide in Christ. Are you with me there? You want to relate to him, not to these things. These things that help us to figure out how to abide in him. It'd be kind of like getting married to somebody. And then you make up a list of things that she likes. And you do those things. Thinking you're building a relationship. She wants me to say I love you once a day. Okay, I love you. Okay, good. Got that one done. She wants me to help make the bed. Make the bed. Okay, good. There we go. See what I'm saying? Well, the problem is don't take what I'm about to walk you through and turn it into law. Because all it does is it describes Jesus describing how we abide in him. 
And one of the things he says is, Abide in me by feeding upon my words. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Where are his words? His words are in the scriptures. His teachings were not just sort of Jesus going, well, I've got nothing to do between miracles, so I'll do some teaching. His teachings are vital for us to understand reality and understand life. And so he says, if my words remain in you, in other words, he's saying, I want my words to move off of the pages of the Bible and be absorbed into you. The only way they get there is if we read them and we listen to them. I mentioned to you before this fantastic version of the Bible, the English Standard Version, Reader's Version. And the reason I like it is it doesn't have chapter divisions and verses. It just reads like a book. It's, it's, it's a great new way for you to encounter Amazon, 25 bucks on Amazon, delivered the very next day. And you can have, and if you take this copy, you're in deep sin. Do not take my copy, but I'll leave it up here for you afterwards. Here's what I suggest we do, okay? For the next few weeks, just read through the Gospels. Read a chapter a day. Do you know how long it takes you to make a cup of coffee? You could read a whole chapter during that time. Put the coffee on while it's percolating. Go and pick up your Bible and just read a chapter of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the reason why I say to do that is so that his words start to move off the page and become part of our minds, part of our beings. If we're not doing that, Jesus can't talk to us. If we're not doing that, we're knowing. We're not knowing what his words are that he wants to have abide inside of us. And so he says, here's how you abide in me. Let my words abide in you. Hear me talking to you. And then we've already seen it in in this. Communicate with me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. All right, so here's Jesus' promise to Raymond that you can have a Porsche. Isn't that true? Right there, he says it. If you abide in me, my words remain in Ask whatever, and it will be done for you. What happens when Jesus' words abide in us and we abide in him? Is it changes what we pray about. The trivial stuff goes away. And the significant stuff begins to grow. And the specific significant thing here is that, Jesus, I want to grow. I want to become more and more like you. I pray for our church that we would become more and more like you and that more and more people would become like you. That's what happens as we begin to pray. And when we begin to pray like that, God hears us. Now, you've noticed that spontaneously there are prayer groups popping up in the life of our church. Tuesday morning, 9 o'clock. Tuesday evening, 6.30. Spontaneous, not a program we planned, just people felt led by God to say, let's come together and let's pray. And what they're going to be doing, by the way, is they're going to be praying. They're not going to walk into the room and have a lesson on prayer for 45 minutes and then pray for two minutes. They're going to come together and pray. See, that's why Raymond's not running it. I would teach them for 45 minutes. (laughs) And then we'd only pray for two minutes. We're going to come together and pray. And one of the prayers that I'm asking is that we will pray that God will be more and more revealed among us and then through us to the people around us. How do we abide in him? We let his words come into us. We absorb his words and we abide in his words. We communicate with him in prayer. And then he specifically says, cling to my love. The way the branch clings to the vine. He says, I want you to cling to my vine. 
my love the same way. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Live in my love. What takes us away from the love of Christ? Sin. Sin. Okay? Commit a sin. And you distance yourself, and you feel that distance. You've grieved the Holy Spirit, and you distance. What's the cure to that distance? Confession, forgiveness, and move back right away. One of the stupid things that happens is, oh, I've committed the sin. And then for the next four or five days, I beat myself up over the sin, and I'm feeling the distance. And it's as if Jesus didn't die for that sin. Think about it. When he died for our sins, he died for all of our sins. Now, there's, there's a lot of consequences that come from our sins, but he wants us to come immediately back, immediately back, confess, and enter right back into relationship with him. I heard somebody uh, give praise about me the other day. Dr. Raymond's just, he's, he's, it's amazing how he can accept us, warts and all, without judgment. And I had to say, the only reason I can do that is, I'm so aware of my own sin, believe me. I'm so aware of, of the fact that I am not deserving. That's why I can go, well, yeah, I'm glad I didn't do that, but I could have, could have been there. Okay. He says, as I have loved you, as the Father loves me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Abide in my love. Come back to my love. Don't allow Satan. See, the other thing that will happen is Satan will take us away. He's, he's the tempter, remember? What he does is he tempts us to sin, tempts us to sin, and the minute you, tempt, you, you sin, what does he do? He becomes the accuser. Come on, Raymond, do this. Come on, Raymond, do this. Come on, Raymond, do this. Come on, Raymond. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe what a sinner you are. And so Satan will push us away from, from the love of Christ. And he says, so abide in my love. Make sure that you deliberately go back and immerse yourself in the fact that I love you. I love, and it, I think it was Chuck Swindoll who said this, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. Nothing. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Nothing. He is love. And so faith means I believe that that love is there. No matter what has gone wrong in my life, no matter what wrong I have committed, I go back and I live in his love. How do I make sure I live in your love? He says simply, obey me. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Now, this touches a nerve inside of us. We don't like to obey. We don't like to be told what to do. But Jesus is saying to us, listen, the way to abide in my love is whatever I have taught you, whatever I have commanded you, I need you to trust me. I have given these commands not to make you miserable, not to take something away from you. I have given you these commands because they come from love, and I want you to trust me and obey me on that. We all know that as parents. Don't play on the freeway. You know what I mean? Don't run in the road. Don't stick your fingers into the sockets. We've, we've got all kinds of commands that we give to our kids, not because we're trying to rob them of fun, but because we're trying to protect them and to comfort them. And it's interesting that Jesus and the Father live in an obedient relationship. And for him, love and obey are just the two sides of the same coin. And in fact, trust sits in the middle. Whatever he's told us to do, we trust him. He knows what's best. 
And so therefore, whatever command he gives me, I believe that he knows what's best. And I will obey him, not because I'm forced to, but because I love him. And because it's the appropriate response that I give to him. I've told you this, he said, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Guess why he said that? It's because he assumes that we would all read that and go, if I obey his commands, I'm setting myself up for a miserable life. From here on out, it's just going to, joy's gone, fun's gone, life's over. He says, no, no. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. His commands draw us toward joy. And by the way, joy is a deeply settled thing. Joy isn't happiness. You know, it's Snoopy dancing. If you're saying, well, if I've got joy, I've got to be happy, happy, happy all the time. No. Joy is, is more like peace. It's something deep inside your soul that's there. Even when things go horribly wrong, there's that deep, deep sense of joy inside of us. And then, and we come back to this for a whole one week on this, love one another, he said. And my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. He says, listen, I want you to understand this, that when you love one another, you're drawing together closer and closer to me, and you become my confidants. He goes on to say, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I call you my friends because now I'm confiding in you. I'm showing you what I'm doing. I'm bringing you into the inner circle of my life. If you love one another as I have loved you. If you do and obey this command. I found a a great picture of what it means to obey his commands in love. In most weddings, there's a moment when the bride and the groom step out onto the floor. Now, this is not, anyway, the bride and groom step out onto the floor. And they dance their first dance together as husband and wife. And usually, if they're going to waltz or do some kind of conventional uh, dance, what will happen is that the man will lead with his hand in hers and his hand in the small of her back. And he will lead her around the dance floor. Okay? And while he does that, She trusts him. She surrenders to him. And she allows him to be the one who leads her around the dance floor. That's what Jesus is saying. Let me dance with you. Let me come into your life and let me lead you. Trust me. Now, when she's dancing, she's often going backwards. (laughs) Do you notice that? She's going backwards. But she trusts him that he's not going to trip her. He's not going to cause her to fall. He's going to carefully take her. And there are times in life when we're going backwards. We don't know where he's leading us. But he says, trust me and let me lead you in that direction. So there's some aspects of abiding. To graft your life into Jesus. To draw your life from his spirit. Oh, I didn't talk about that. I think that, and and I think the spirit of God would allow me to use that. That the sap that flows through the stem is like the spirit of God. He flows through there and into us. Nurture your soul from his word. Converse with him in prayer. Cling to his love, obey his commandments. Those aren't a list of things to do. They're just ways of describing how we abide in Jesus Christ. But the point is this. In order for me to grow and to become the person God wants me to be, I must cultivate a life-receiving relationship with Jesus Christ so that his life is always constantly flowing into me.
I'm calling this series Divine Life just because I want us to understand that as a church, we want to be sure that we are dwelling inside of him. I just want to quickly walk you through how we built our mission for who we are as a church from this. Our mission is to grow a family of people who are becoming more and more like Jesus. That's our mission, we, why we exist as a church. Remember I talked about your elevator speech? That if somebody says to you, why does Medlock Church exist? Memorize it because there's going to be a test. Okay? To grow a family of people who are becoming more and more like Jesus by cultivating a life-receiving relationship with Christ Jesus, a life-motivating relationship with each other, and a life-giving relationship to the people of our world. They're sequential. First, a life-receiving relationship with Christ Jesus. Then, a life-motivating relationship with each other. And then, a life-giving relationship with our world out there. How will we know if we're accomplishing this? We ask three questions. Are we becoming more and more like Jesus? Are our members becoming more committed to one another? And then, are more and more people becoming followers of Jesus? We're covering this right now because it's sort of a new season in the life of our church. And it's time for us as a, as a whole church to, to think clearly, where are we going and why are we doing this? I had a meeting with one of our members this week. Uh, in fact, let me just mention, Dave Malta needs our prayers, okay? Dave used to greet you at the door all the time. Uh, he's got Parkinson's and he's just in a, in a bad place and Paula needs our prayer as well during this time. And then Dick Norris. Just an absolutely marvelous man. He was able to go to lunch finally this week. And so we went to lunch together. And during lunch, it came up that they have been married for 38 years. And while we're talking about the fact they've been married for 38 years, we got onto the subject of we become one flesh. And God gave me just such a beautiful picture. He said, you know, my wife is in me. There are times I make decisions and I don't know if it's me or her in me making this decision. If you've been married a while and you've had a good relationship, isn't that true? That you discover that all of a sudden her values, her way of thinking, her way of seeing the world is suddenly in you to such a degree that you can't remember. How would I make a decision without her? I don't know. But do you see how that happens? And there's a piece of you in her as well. And I think that's such a beautiful picture. It was like, thank you, Jesus, you gave me such a beautiful picture of what it means to abide in Christ. As we live in him and he lives in us, we switch so that he becomes in us. And we begin to think and see the world the way he thinks and sees the world. And so we're being transformed from the inside out. Let's pray together. And just in your own quiet place with Jesus... Renew your commitment to live in him. There may be a trust issue between you and him. Or you have to surrender and say, okay, I'm going to trust you. You know better. And so I'm going to do what you're telling me to do. Because I trust you. It may be a love issue. That Jesus, for some reason, I don't really believe you love me. I know you like me, but I don't know that you love me. In fact, I'm not even sure sometimes whether you like me or not. But you tell me that you love me as the Father has loved you and you love the Father. 
And so I accept and embrace your love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've put your spirit inside of us. And that there's no challenge in life that we will face, that you will not face it with us. Abide in us, Jesus, as we abide in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.